All right, biohackers, who doesn't love a yummy, creamy whey protein shake? Oh, it is such a treat. And I really love it as a meal replacement, post-workout recovery, maybe even a midday snack. So this is why I have to tell you about Puri Protein Powder. I absolutely love the bourbon vanilla flavor and the chocolate, but I think I got to go with the, the vanilla as my favorite. So it's smooth, it's delicious. And you know what else? It's pretty awesome that the flavors come from real natural ingredients like the bourbon vanilla seeds from Madagascar. And let's talk about quality because there's a lot of junk whey protein on the market that I would not recommend. So the Puree whey protein, it comes from pasture-raised cow's milk with no hormones, no GMOs, and no pesticides. This is because Puree's mission has always been to be the best at offering pure, clean, and superior products that, that support health and well-being. And what I think truly sets them apart is that they are fully transparent with their product testing. Every batch is third-party tested against more than 200 contaminants and certified clean by the Clean Label Projects. Not all brands can say this. Plus, each product contains a QR code so you can personally scan it and review the test results at home. I know you're excited to try it out. So what you're going to do is head on over to puri.com slash biohackerbabes. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash biohackerbabes. And then make sure you use promo code biohackerbabes at checkout to save 20%. All right, let's get back to the show. We're digging deep and asking the questions we need to ask. Years of stress and not just emotional. I was depleting my body. I was malnourished. I'm working out like crazy. I'm eating all these healthy foods. How could I not be well? We have to get back to the basics. We can change the way our genes are expressed. Anyone that wants to improve their health or upgrade their health, they should be biohacking. My name is Renee. And I'm Lauren. We are the Biohacker Babes. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. The Biohacker Babes podcast aims to create insight into the body's natural healing abilities, strengthen your intuition, and empower you with techniques and modalities to optimize your health and wellness. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 74 of the Biohacker Babes. I'm Renee and I'm here with my sister, Lauren. Hey there. And we are going to be bringing on a guest today. We have Dr. Erica Ebel-Engel. And I first met Erica about nine months ago when I uh, found out about this test called the Excella test. Um, it's looking at different metabolites that are kind of assessing your gut microbiome, overall health. And it's such a fascinating test that I was like, I need to get involved with this company. So I did their training and I now run their test. And we thought we need to have Erica on to talk more about this, to really explain the science behind it. I think you guys are going to find this super, super fascinating. Uh, Lauren, I know this is a little bit newer to you, but I know you're super interested in all this. Any big takeaways? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm always looking for 
<laughs> I don't, I know there's not one perfect test out there, but I'm always looking for testing to just be a little more simplified. And there's so many things out there and we know with stool tests, they're not that accurate. So where do we go for looking at the biome? Like that's just been sort of the, the popular test to test the stool for the biome. This is a blood test. And I think that is so fascinating. That's really giving a clear snapshot of what's happening and their recommendations and results are just so easy to look at. It's really fun to actually kind of dig deeper into our results because Renee, we've both done the test and I got to ask some questions. So if you want to find out what has happened on either of our tests, you'll learn a little bit more about that. And we can attach a sample report to the show notes if you want to see what that looks like. But I don't know. I just think it's really novel and I think she actually said at one point, like, this is not rocket science. Like it's, it's pretty basic, but I'm like, then why is there all this other stuff out there? Like we've been beating around the right. bush. Like this is the one I'm not saying this is the end all be all of testing. You don't have to do any other testing, but I think it's really, really, really useful. And I'm excited to do more with it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good place to start. I mean, whether you're just looking for optimization or you're having health issues, I think it's a great place to start because it's looking at you know, digestion, brain function, energy, immune function, like what else do you need? Right. And then, like you said, the recommendations are just like beautifully laid out. Anyone can read the report. Like you don't need to be, I think a practitioner to understand what you need to do. So highly recommend working with a practitioner is always advised. Renee is, uh, an Excel health pro at this time. I think Yes, anyone can read it, but if you really want to go deeper and look at the full healing opportunities, it's always advised to work with a practitioner. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Awesome. All right. So a little bit more about Erica. So Dr. Erica Ebel-Engel is the CEO and co-founder of Excella, the internal fitness company. She received her PhD in biochemistry in 2012 from Boston University School of Medicine and holds a bachelor of science in chemistry from MIT. In 2002, Erica founded Science from Scientists, an award-winning national nonprofit focused on improving science, technology, engineering, and math attitudes and aptitudes for children aged 9 to 13. She is also the co-founder and director of Education for Robots in Service of the Environment, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to apply robotic solutions to help solve environmental challenges. Outside of work, Erica enjoys scuba diving, skiing, and a graduate of the San Francisco Conservatory of Music, continues her lifelong passion for classical piano. She is married to Colin Engel, the CEO of iRobot. So she has such an amazing background. I can't wait to bring her on and just share all of her knowledge. I didn't know that she was also a musician. That's incredible. I think she is so cool and she just got cooler. Um, (laughs) So personable, so lovely. I think you guys are going to enjoy her so much. So. Yes. Ready? All right. Let's do it. All right. Welcome, Dr. Erica, to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We're thrilled to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. We have been looking forward to this for several months um, as an Excella pro myself, and we've talked a lot about the Excella test. We can't wait to share more about it with our audience today. And we know that you are such a wealth of knowledge about everything related to gut health, the gut microbiome. We're going to get into the science also get into the metabolites of the Excella test because it is such a unique test. I think some people are aware of some of the gut tests out there, but I think this is such a unique offering. So we definitely want to dive down that rabbit hole as well. But before we do all the sciencey stuff, maybe you can just share your story. Like how did you get into 
being passionate about gut health. How did that begin? Absolutely. Um, well, I've suffered from gut-related issues for much of my life. I think part of that was an inheritance from my undergraduate uh, career, which was a little stressful. So, um, you know, I started having IBS symptoms in my early 20s or late teens, early 20s. Um, so it's had a very personal significance in my life as I've tried to figure out how to navigate uh, nutrition and stress and anxiety and um, fitness, et cetera, and all the different pieces that sort of play an important role in in maintaining proper gut health and then even being able to measure what it means. You know, you go to the doctor and they diagnose you with a, something like IBS and they say, well, there's not much you can really do um, except for maybe pay attention to nutrition and stress and fitness and all these things. So that played a very important role. Then post my PhD life, I was fortunate enough to meet our uh, co-founder of Excella and um, now my chief scientist. And, you know, he was in his, he's in his late seventies at this point, has been in that field for a very long time. And as we started analyzing the data, we started to see very interesting um, trends between health-related issues, other health-related issues, whether it be diabetes or uh, obesity, stress, anxiety, depression, cancers, autoimmune conditions, um, neurodegenerative diseases, and their connection to the gut microbiome. And so, um, you know, started to talk about different things we might work on together to help try to save the world. Uh, and this is what ultimately came out of some of those machinations. So it was somewhat serendipitous in, in my meeting him, but also, you know, a very personal part of my, my world, um, which drove me to want to do it. Saving the world certainly is an excellent goal to have, and I love it. Of course, it started with a personal health challenge. That's how most people come into this industry, right? I am so happy that you introduced the very first thing you said was that you noticed there was stress from from school affecting the biome. I think that's maybe new for some people. I think the immune function connection to the gut is new for some people. The gut-brain access may be new to some people. So you know, we've all heard about probiotics and bacteria, but right out of the gate, you, you've said like such a powerful word there. So thank you for sharing that. No worries. The gut is very much connected to all other systems health. It is not sort of this thing in a vacuum. There are just nerves and molecules that connect it to everything else. And so if it's unhealthy, that trickles down and has significant consequences elsewhere. Really cool. So with the Excella test, we're really seeing the results of that. Because I think a lot of people just think that stress is so normal these days because everyone is stressed and you think we think that we can recover from it, but it really is directly affecting. Can you can you share just a little bit about how you're seeing that? Absolutely. So um you, you mentioned some of the terms already. So, you know, we we talk about the connection between the the brain and the gut. There is actually a a nerve. Uh, that connects your brain and your gut. So typically when you when you say you feel, why is it that when you feel stressed, you have that kind of butterfly in your stomach feeling or you suddenly realize, oh no, I have to go to the bathroom more. Why is that? <laughs> well, because two actually talk to each other. And you know, where the you know, where's the genesis of it? Is it in your head or is it in your gut? And it could be both. And so, you know, if you're anxious about something mentally, that is going to stimulate your gut to go and be hyperreactive. If your gut is having its own sets of issues, that could kind of give feedback back to the brain and create that those feelings of anxiety. So 
the two have to be balanced together. One without the other isn't enough, but they are very intimately connected and are constantly talking uh, to each other. Yeah. So, and Erica, I actually had a similar journey with gut health. When I was 10 years old, I was having severe like stomach pain, upset stomach. And my parents took me to Johns Hopkins and all the best doctors in Maryland and ran all these tests. And ultimately they said, we think your daughter has anxiety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all it was. There was like no food allergies, all that, you know? Um, so I've learned it's for me, I'm the same way. Stress just totally destroys my gut. And I think this is a really good topic for this year because obviously the link between the gut and the immune function or immune system we know is really important, but also the mental health component that's going on this year, right? People are stressed, depressed, anxious. So I think always looking back to the gut is such an important link. Anxiety is really interesting because for different people, it manifests in different ways. And many of us, especially those who are used to performing at a really high level and constantly being on, we've just learned it's a part of our lives. It's it's not even something where if somebody were to say to you, do you have anxiety? You'd say, no, you know, I'm fine. I function. I'm a, I go to work. I do my thing. Uh, I'm not really bothered by it. I sleep okay. You know, I, and, but in reality, you know, you start to feel it in cases where, let's say you go on vacation um, and about five days in, takes about four to five days to, you start to feel different. And why is that? Because the body, you know, nothing happens instantly ever, but the body starts to come down a little and you start to suddenly, you know, your bowel movements are normal again. And suddenly you're able to breathe deeply again. And, and again, the changes happen slowly over time. But it's just, it's a fascinating, you could spend a whole, you know, hours on anxiety alone, but very much, you know, the power of what's going on in your head and being able to identify that, you know, maybe this is in fact a factor. Once you start to address that through mindfulness, meditation, just going on walks, breathing, taking a step back, you start to see that trickle down again and you're going to, your stomach starts to feel better. You know, you don't have that weird, those feelings of pain. You don't have... Um, weird bowel movements. You don't have any of this anymore. So again, it's it's just so fascinating because it's all interrelated. No, the body is interrelated, right? I mean, it's all in one place. So things are talking to each other constantly. So really important. Yeah. And I love that Excella makes recommendations for all those things you just said, the mindfulness, the sleep, exercise, nutrition. It's not just like, here's a probiotic, good luck. Um, and we actually, we had a guest on our show a couple months ago, she was diagnosed with, uh, IBD and her doctor said, here's a prescription. That's the only thing you can do. And she even asked the doctor, well, what, what about changing my diet? Would that be worth doing? And the doctor was like, no, nah, it's not really going to make a difference. So you have that on one end and then, you know, Excel on the other end is looking at every lifestyle factor. I just love that because it all is interconnected. Like yeah. You thank you. No, and it's it's interesting, you know, the the test originally obviously it's you know it's positioned as a gut microbiome test. And I think for those who think, oh well, you know, I don't have gas or I don't have bloating or you know, my stomach works okay, right? It's not about that. The test is really meant to be a baseline health assessment that looks at different areas of health. So these markers, again, the molecules that are produced by the gut affect different systems health. So yes, they're in the gut and they're secreted by the gut. They're they're shuttled out by the gut. 
but then the body goes and uses them, right? To build other organs, to build your immune system cells, to build your hair and your nails, to, to build all these other really important functions and, and systems. So, you know, to say that it's just a microbiome test is not enough because it's, yes, I mean, it is, it is a microbiome test, but these are things that influence profoundly all of the other cells, tissues, and systems around the microbiome. Right. And I, to take a step back for everyone listening, um, we keep saying microbiome and we're looking at the gut and stuff, but this is actually a blood test. So for anyone that's like picturing, oh, this is a stool test at home or something, it's actually a blood test and you can do it at home with a simple finger prick. We do get asked that question a lot because typically microbiome, when you hear microbiome, you think it's a stool sample test. Right. People, well, that's kind of weird that you're measuring stuff in the blood. Um, you know, I would say the answer to that, because I think it's fascinating for people who don't know, um, the purpose of, of these different tests, it depends on what you're trying to achieve with the test. So, you know, a stool sample test is going to look at, well, what is in your stool? Um, you know, specific microbes in the stool, maybe specific molecules in the stool. You know, do you have blood in your stool? Do you have parasites in your stool? But the link between what is in your stool and what is actually in your gut, they're not the same because not everything that is living in your gut, of course, comes out in your stool. It's not supposed to. That would be very unhealthy for you. Imagine that every day, your entire you know, all the bacteria and everything living in your gut was suddenly coming out every day. It, it, that would be bad and unhealthy. So, you know, again, I think the link and, and a lot of companies are, are making this claim, you know, to be able to link what is in your stool to what you should be eating. They're, they're not the same because you're not measuring the same thing. So again, if you want to know morbid curiosity, what's in my stool, uh, <laughs> If you want to know, do I have blood? Do I have cholesterol? Do I have these different molecules in my stool? Then measure it. But if you want to really know, are the bacteria critters in my gut doing that which they need to do to digest and break down food and nutrients and absorb them in me? You can't measure that through the stool. You have to measure that through the blood because imagine you've eaten you know, a taco for lunch, that taco has traveled through your stomach, now is in your intestine, bacteria have broken it down, all those nutrients have been absorbed through the intestinal lining, they go into your systemic circulation, your blood. And then that's why you measure them in your blood, because they're not, you know, they're then used to go and power these other systems health. For example, we measure tryptophan, an amino acid. Tryptophan is converted into serotonin, the happiness molecule, melatonin, the molecule that helps you sleep, right? So it starts as a nutrient that's been broken down by your bacteria, but it gets absorbed into the blood and then it gets converted into all these different molecules. So again, you can't measure that in your stool. You have to measure that in your blood. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that is increasing in popularity, the the stool. I have a very good friend that always equates stool testing to fishing. Like you never know what you're going to catch that day, depending on what you've left in the toilet, right? It's a little unpredictable in that way. And we know blood chemistry is very powerful. Like it's a snapshot of what's happening. Can you explain how the blood metabolites would be different than like a, a urinary organic acids, like what you're actually excreting? Yeah, of course. Um, we get asked that question a lot as well. 
Um, so urine is like stool. Urine is a final product, right? So once these nutrients have essentially been metabolized, processed by the body, all of the waste, right, is excreted either as stool or as urine. So um, you're looking mostly at byproduct of process. Now, that's not to say it's bad. I think on, on my list, urine testing is probably better than stool sample testing simply because of its association with, you know, again, these are molecules that were used up and now they're excreted. But the challenge with it is you don't always know why the problem happened. So you might see something in the urine that shouldn't be there. But the question is, why did that happen? Because the, the body is complicated. There are all kinds of different metabolic processes, right, that produce these end products. So it could have been from one thing going wrong, could have been from something else going wrong. You just don't know. So the power of blood testing is, of course, it's the most, you said it, I think exactly, it's the most up-to-date, in-the-moment snapshot of what is going on in the body. And then from there, you can piece together a story that that really makes sense in the moment. Um, you know, if, you, if you're looking at urine, you might end up with something and be like, well, I don't really know, was it caused by this or was it caused by that? Which means you have to go back anyway and do the blood testing in order to assess what was the actual beginning of that problem. So, you know, I think blood, honestly, blood testing is the industry standard because it is the most up-to-date way of looking at, at, at a problem. Yeah, to think of all of the the conversions that have to happen, the, it's all that science that makes my head really spin. Like looking at the urine is complicated because you have to be able to sift through and see trends, which is like right. really, really complex. So, so cool that that information is just like, bam, here it is. Can you explain how the test works? So it's at home, finger prick, blood yeah. tests, pretty easy. Sure. So it's a pinprick blood test. So you poke your finger, you bleed, I'd say five to six drops 30 to 40 microliters, but five to six drops uh, of blood on a little collection device. It essentially is like a little piece of filter paper, um, glorified filter paper, but you, you close it up, you send it to us, and then we analyze that for these 11 different molecules, which I'm sure you guys will, will ask about, oh, yeah. <laughs> then a report um, that essentially gives recommendations based on those 11 markers for specific types of uh, foods that, you know, contain those if you have low levels or if you have high levels, sometimes you have to counterbalance with, with other types of foods and nutrients, mindfulness, meditation, sleep plans, fitness plans to get you going if, if you've been sedentary or, or even if you haven't just to get you going some more. And then also some recommendations for certain supplements. Sometimes we need them. You know, we're, we don't advocate just blindly taking supplements if you don't need them. Um, but in many cases, people do because they have deficiencies. So as long as you know why you're taking it, um, mm -hmm. providing you know, personalized recommendations there could be really helpful. Yeah. Right. And Lauren and I always say, you know, test, don't guess. And I, Erica, I know you're a really big supporter of that. This is really giving you personalized data that helps to guide your plan. Like you said, you're not just guessing, oh, do I need this supplement or whatever? Um, it is very Yeah, the number of people that just go to the store and buy a probiotic or clients that come to me and they're already taking a probiotic, just, you know, they Googled something. I'm like, how did you choose that one? And the answer is, I don't know. I just thought right. 
Yeah. That's the one I found. That's what I should be taking. It was on sale. I don't know. <laughs> it has a pretty label. Um, you know, yeah. a lot of marketing, you know, if, if, if it says the right thing on the, on the label, then people get suckered in. I, I really am a believer. Don't take it unless you need it. Um, supplements are still drugs. They're still medicines. So, you know, we don't typically take medicine unless we need it. This is in no way different. Um, and of course, you know, we don't, we don't look at everything. So, you know, folks will say, well, you guys don't offer vitamin D supplement. Everybody should be taking vitamin D. I don't disagree, um, but I'm not going to recommend something unless I test for it. So, you know, yeah, go and test, make sure you need it. Because again, if you, if your levels are fine, there's really no point in adding more to the body when it's unnecessary. Yeah. That's a great point. Do you want to go through the markers, the 11 markers that are on the test? I know some of them are words that our audience will never be able to, <laughs> to pronounce or repeat, but I think it's really worth something sort of explaining the, the basic things we're looking at. Yeah. What would, if you guys want to just ask, why don't you pull one up and then ask, and then I'll tell you about it. So that, that work. Yeah. Why don't we start with tryptophan? You'd already mentioned that. And I think that's probably the one that most people have heard of. Yeah. Yep. So this is like, this is like a quiz on the spot. So, all right. So tryptophan, <laughs> fascinating. So everyone's heard of this one, uh, mostly because it's you know very commonly associated with Turkey, uh, right? The tryptophan is just coma everybody has after yeah. Thanksgiving. Um, it's, it is an amino acid. So it means that it's a, it's part of protein. Um, it's not just found in Turkey. Of course, it's found in whether it's eggs and other types of meat sources, um, certain types of seeds. There are vegetarian options for getting these, but typically they're found most in meats, whether they be poultry or, or red meat, tofu, beans, seeds, um, etc. So tryptophan uh, is, is, is cool. First of all, you have to get it from your diet. So you can't, your body doesn't manufacture that one, um, has to come from the diet. And if you were to Google tryptophan and go to any of these biochemical pathway websites, like the keg website, you'd see tryptophan in the center of like a gazillion other pathways. So it is the beginning of thousands of other really, really important molecules that the body um, essentially, you know, takes your tryptophan and converts it to all these different things. So we talked about one serotonin. Um, So serotonin is you typically hear, oh, serotonin in the brain. It's the thing that makes me happy. Uh, but mostly, you know, it's interesting. A lot of serotonin is actually secreted in the gut. So this is, again, where super important to have a healthy gut. So tryptophan converted into serotonin, also then converted into melatonin, so the molecule that helps you sleep. And often, it's interesting for our vegans and vegetarians, um, you know, they, they come to us and say, you know, I get tired by 3 p.m. Why is that happening? Or, or I don't sleep well, um, you know, at night. And then we dig in a little and we test and we notice that their tryptophan is really low because it's actually difficult to get enough protein from a, a you know a vegetarian diet. Um, someone out there will say, well, of course you can do it. You can do it. It's just not the same. So you have to eat more, uh, but that trickles down and it cascades and it can cause some of these other you know, troubles. So again, it starts in that case, it could start with the diet, just not getting enough of that nutrient. Yeah. And that's in a lot of your protein rich foods. Yes. Right. So correct. Correct. Yeah. Any other considerations there, even if you are eating tryptophan rich foods, like reasons why maybe that pathway could not be 
converting properly or any other offenders that would affect that? It, it could be. So there's, what if you're just not absorbing it properly? So this is where we also measure uh, serotonin because serotonin is responsible for, since we're uh, maybe we've transitioned to serotonin. So it's responsible for maintaining. So if you imagine your intestine is a tube um, and that tube is not supposed to have holes in it, if it has holes in it, the water leaks out. So imagine if you do have holes, now you're, you have what's called leaky gut. So you've got gaps in between the cells in the intestine where food particles, things that aren't supposed to be leaking out, are essentially leaking out into these areas, you know, whether it's um, your body cavity, um, actually there's an area called the lamina propria where your immune system hangs out. Um, your immune system doesn't know what a taco is. So those pieces of that taco, <laughs> it now senses as foreign invaders, it attacks them. Now this is how food sensitivities and allergies are formed because your immune system is like, oop, that is not supposed to be here. And it forms an immune response. So when serotonin is low, those tight junctions between the cells and the intestinal lining spread out and stuff goes where it shouldn't outside of your intestinal tube. Now, you could be eating tons of protein, but if the intestinal lining itself is damaged, you're going to be absorbing none of it or very little of it. So why we test serotonin? Because if serotonin is low, even if some of these other things might be okay, you could say, all right, there's a problem. Or if both are low, you could, you could ostensibly come to the conclusion that you might have leaky gut is the problem. It may not be an issue of how much food you're eating. Let's solve the leaky gut problem first, because once we've solved that, now your body's going to be able to properly digest your nutrients. So we're not recommending that you eat more. Let's solve this problem first. So mm -hmm. that could be an effect if there's damage to the intestine. Yeah. yeah so that's really getting to the root cause. And so is that a, a potential opportunity that you would see on the results and the suggestions of how to heal that leaky gut? Like, are you addressing biofilms? Like what's sort of the first step for people? Yeah. Well, you know, first you, there's certain types of immune activating, immune system activating foods that, that we typically recommend you cut out you know, you, to let the system calm down. Uh, and then later on, you can always reintroduce them slowly, but it's, it's going to be heal the gut by trying to raise that serotonin level. So there are certain types of foods that contain serotonin, uh, but recommendations around healing. So again, it could be by decreasing stress levels. Again, it depends on what the other molecules are that are out of range, because it could be that you need to decrease your stress levels that will help the body to just, if it's inflamed, to just calm down, rest, heal. Certain types of foods, of course, are healing, bone broth, et cetera. So there's going to be recommendations for healing foods, de-stress, de-anxietyify. That's not a word. You know, and start there, right? That's going to be your first purpose. Then, you know, do the next step. So again, this is to our point about the difference between blood testing versus urine testing, all of the molecules together formulate a story. And you can try to learn where is the actual pinpoint, what is the actual problem? And then solve that first and then move on and solve these other things versus 
you know, in the case of some of the other tests, it's just not possible to know where to begin. Yeah. It requires so much detective work, but I like that your recommendations are just lifestyle protocols, right? Reduce stress, eat whole foods. These are the foods that may be helpful. Increase your water intake, quality water intake. Well, a lot of, a lot of this is not rocket science, but if you don't know why you're doing it, somebody telling you go eat more broccoli. It's like, yeah, your mom says that tells you that for free. You don't need to buy a test to figure that out. And that's why nobody, why people don't do it. Cause it's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But if you can show them the data for here is why you need to do these seven things, compliance is likely to be a lot more, you know, religious because to some mm-hmm. extent people are going to want to do it. It's like, okay, now I have a reason for, for doing this. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So Erica, I think before we go down more of the metabolites, maybe we can talk about the categories of health. Sure. And we'll just wonder if that will help set it up and then we'll go down. I know there's limited time. So I was thinking of what's the best way to, to package this. So there are 11 markers. Um, those, what we've, what we've tried to do because our clients, clients come in different types, right? You've got folks who really want to know everything about every metabolite. Where does it come from? Why is it important? And then you have folks who aren't as science savvy, who just really want to understand how does this affect my body and which systems are clued in, right? So there's the 11 markers, then we have the five areas of health. So the five areas of health are the five broad areas of health where these metabolites play an important role. So again, we brought up tryptophan. Tryptophan is going to be one that plays a role in all the different areas of health because it is a precursor to so many other things. Serotonin, important in gut health, as we explained, also important in brain health because it does help with those sort of happiness, feelings of happiness. So again, this is two different ways of looking at the data. Five areas of health. So you've got gastrointestinal fitness. As its name suggests, it's the health of the gut, but it's really three things. So one, it's the diversity of the gut. Do I have enough of the different types of microbes? And I don't like to call them good or bad. Um, We say invasive and less invasive, but they're all good, quote unquote, in a way, provided they're in the right ratios. So you, you you want all of them in there, but you don't want too many of any given one. That's where trouble really starts happening. But do I have the proper diversity of the gut? Then it's the lining, the health of the gut. So we talked about this a little bit. Is the gut healthy? Is it able to actually digest and absorb these nutrients? So if my intestine has holes in it, obviously that's not good. Uh, so again, we, we look at that. You know, And then it's a, just nutritional. Am I getting the proper nutrients uh, through my diet that are being absorbed and used? So those three things kind of fall under gastrointestinal fitness. Um, you've got immunofitness. So we talked about it briefly, but the immune system, I'd say 70 to 80% of the immune system is actually found in the gut. Where? Well, if you imagine, again, the gut is a tube and you have these finger-like projections that are coming out of the sides of the tube, increasing the surface area so that when you digest your food, those nutrients are absorbed through these finger-like projections. They go into your systemic circulation, take into the rest of the body. Between the finger-like projections and all the blood vessels, there's that area called the lamina propria. And 70 to 80% of your immune system actually hangs out there. That's where it lies in wait to be told what to do. 
So it's it's not like you know you hear well the immune system is tied to the gut. Yeah, it's it's because it's like there, <laughs> physically in the <laughs> yeah. same place. Um, and again, that's why when there's leaky gut and particles trickle through into the lamina propria, the immune system happens to be right there, um, waiting to attack your taco. <laughs> and again, this is why you don't want that to happen. So again, gut and immune system super closely tied together. Immunofitness, of course, is a score that looks at how healthy is the gut and the relationship between the gut. And again, some of these molecules important to assessing that score. Uh, Emotional balance. We talked about this one too. Um, Molecules like serotonin uh, are obviously relevant in both areas of health. And a lot of them have to do with anxiety, uh, depression, et cetera. Um, Many of the molecules that we measure are converted into neurotransmitters and other types of uh, structures and, and, and chemical compounds that are relevant to the brain. Some cross the brain, blood brain barrier, some do not, but they're really important to both um, areas of health. Cognitive function is another essential uh, category of health. Molecules like, for example, tyrosine, it's another protein based it's an amino acid, are converted into adrenaline. Dopamine, right? Dopamine is important. It's that molecule that helps you have initiative-oriented behavior, get you off the couch when you're feeling blah, and just get you up to do something. It gives you that motivation. Epinephrine, adrenaline, right? So important when we have to put ourselves out there in a stressful situation to to be able to stand and deliver. Not enough tyrosine can trickle down and create severe anxiety. This sort of feeling of like I'm I'm I can't do anything. I'm I'm stagnant. Like I I you know petrified to do this that and the other thing. Um, so again, that cognitive acuity, cognitive function affected by a lot of these molecules. And then the last one is energetic efficiency, and that's really important for people who work out. It's a very popular category for our fitness buffs. I mean, and even if you just work out a little bit, you're not a professional athlete, a lot of damage markers fall in this category. So how well is your body taking the nutrients and converting them into energy? Ultimately, are you working your body too hard? And it could be physical stress. It could also be mental stress, but a lot of damage markers in this category that we're looking at just to see how hard are you pushing your body? So again, it's the molecules are related to the gut but they're just so key for all these other different systems health. It gives you a really nice idea of where to begin, where, you know, if you have a specific pain point, where should I start? Cause it's hard to know. Yeah. yeah it can be really overwhelming. Just, just tell okay. me where to go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think people want that priority list. What do I focus on first? Then second and keep going. And I think the Excel report does a beautiful job of setting that up for people. Thank you. Yeah. Do we want to dive further into some of the other metabolites? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Fire away. Erica, how about the, the indole group? Yep. That'll throw the three indoles in. Yep. Why not? There are three indoles. So what is an indole? Well, an indole is, is if you Google indole, it's actually a, a chemical structure. You know, it's, it's, so they all have similarity in the base structure of what they look like with a little bit of extra chemistry added onto it. But there are three of them, indole propionic acid, indole lactic acid, and indole acetic acid, um, IPA, ILA, IAA. The three are really interesting because they 
they kind of play off each other. And again, the story, when you see the, the levels of the three, they're very much interrelated. And so again, depending on which ones are either too high or too low, you can get a sense for what the specific problem is. So we'll start with indole acetic acid. It's a, it's a damage marker per se, but it's, it is secreted by more invasive bacteria. So if you see levels of indole acetic acid that are a little bit too high, you start to think, gee, there might be a bacterial dysbiosis or a bacterial imbalance where I have too many of the negative or more invasive bacteria in there. I need to do something about that. So those guys are producing IAA. IAA, IAA levels can also be elevated by stress. Again, because typically stress alters your body chemistry and gives the more invasive bacteria uh, a more hospitable home. They happen to like that environment. Um, the, the bacteria that are, and it's kind of ironic, right? So if you're, you're the, the environment's less hospitable, the bacteria that survive are the ones who are a little bit nastier. You know, maybe, maybe there's some metaphorical thing in that, but IAA levels, elevated dysbiosis, some issues with invasive bacteria. The indole lactic acid and the indole propionic acid are actually closely tied together. So the indole lactic acid is a precursor to the indole propionic acid. Indole lactic acid is found in fermented foods. So we talk about why should we be eating, why are fermented foods healthy? Um, well, because they are full of this indole lactic acid thing. Now, the body does produce some, but typically it's it's lower, but Anyway, you can get it from fermented foods, pickles, sauerkraut, kimchi, kefir, whatever else. The bacteria in the gut that you really like and want um, is a species, there's a species called Clostridium sporogenes. These guys take the ILA, the indolactic acid, and they convert it into something called IPA. That's the indole propionic acid. Indole propionic acid is one of the strongest antioxidants in the body. Lots of research done on it. I know it's a, a name folks probably haven't heard of, but if you go and you Google it, you'll find a lot of data uh, on IPA. Um, what's an antioxidant? Well, an antioxidant is important because in your normal body processes, you're, you're creating these molecules called free radicals. It happens all the time. It's not bad. It's just, it's a byproduct of cellular, you know, we call it cellular respiration or cellular division. Uh, but free radicals damage DNA. They damage cells. They can create cancer cells. Um, yeah, and your body has a system for going about, you know, neutralizing free radicals. But antioxidants they neutralize free radicals. That's why they tell you to eat a lot of blueberries because they're they have a lot of antioxidants in them. So they go and they help to neutralize these negative free radical molecules. IPA is an antioxidant. So again, if the person's levels of ILA are very high, but their IPA is very low, it gives you an idea that, hmm, maybe that's because there's not enough bacteria in there to take all that ILA and convert it efficient, efficiently to IPA. So now what we need to do is focus on helping those bacteria grow, probiotic for a little while, let's give them a competitive advantage try to get those levels up higher. Or what if ILA is really low and IPA is really low? Well, maybe that person should be eating more fermented food because there's not enough of the precursor. There's not enough of the precursor 
most likely the bacteria have nothing to convert uh, into IPA. So again, the story, it's, it's an interesting story when you understand how each of these molecules plays an important role in the process. And it gives you an idea for, again, where to, where to start. But those are the three indoles and they each have a yeah. different meaning. Um, the person has, you know, low IPA, low ILA and high IAA, then everything has to be looked at. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but mm-hmm. typically it's interrelated because that means they probably have low clostridium sporogenes, not eating the right foods and a dysbiosis, which you'd expect because all of the stuff is, is off. So you'd say, you know, take a probiotic, eat some fermented food, lower your stress. Right. Yeah. And I, if this is getting complicated for anyone, the, again, the Excel report does a good job of, of doing all that analysis for you. If this is high, this is low, this is what you do. So don't feel like you have to memorize this. There won't be a quiz at the end of the episode today. Darn. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can link a sample report so people can see how colorful and amazing and easy it is to read. <laughs> I think it'll be helpful. All on the yeah. website. You guys can find, I can show you where to, or I can send you a link. Yeah. Yeah. And, I'll, and Lauren and I have both done the test. We are happy to share our results so people can see. Yeah. Um, Erica, what, what, what about the, the purine metabolites? Yeah. So purines are really interesting. And I, I, I would also stress, I'm not a dietitian by training, but purines have this sort of finite range where if you don't have enough, then, you know, it's really bad because it's important for DNA synthesis and DNA replication and neurotransmitter formation. And, and so, you know, bad things happen. If they're too <laughs> high, it's a sign of inflammation. And, you know, can lead to things like, for example, if your uric acid is high, gout and and other bad things. So there's this finite range in the middle where you need enough of them in order to carry out really important physiological processes. And if it's too high, you got issues. So those are going to be, you know, we talk about uh, xanthine, 3-methylxanthine, um, uric acid. I'm sure folks are probably, if you have a relative or, or someone you know, friend who has had gout, uric acid is elevated. So this is this is a lot of dietary, in all honesty. Purines are found in different types of foods. Um, you know, beer is a really common one. Um, so if you're a beer drinker, <laughs> maybe not a recommended one, but <laughs> purines are elevated. Um, but well, I guess, and that's why. Well, I guess it's recommended to avoid beer when you have gout. Correct. Simply because of that. Because it adds to the it adds to the purine pathway. Yeah. You know, and then it, again, there's a balance. You have to this this is all about balance. You, you know, you, that's why when people say don't don't eat this, don't eat do, don't do this, don't do this, it's 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 not so simple. Not uh, right. It, <laughs> but but I think you know what makes these interesting is that it's not as like don't eat them, right? Because you knew you do need to eat them because if you don't you you don't synthesize DNA properly, that would be a problem. But if you eat too much, then you can have these other, you know, uremic toxins and and other things that form. And again, that's where we say, if you're not drinking enough water, uh, then you're not rinsing out your kidneys. You're not, you know, rinsing your liver. You're not doing all of this enough, et cetera. So again, the the purines are are fascinating in that there's a kind of a, a middle range for what you can do. And there's always recommendations, you know, tart cherry juice um, is really good because it helps with purine metabolism, different foods that you can eat to, to assist with that. 
you know, et cetera. Don't overdo the, you know, again, protein is important, but if it's too much, that all gets shuttled into the same pathway again. I mean, it's, this is, and this is why the test is important because how do you really know what a person is doing? You know, I'm different from Lauren, who's different from Renee. Our physiology is different. We're different from a 200 pound guy, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so our body biochemistry, how can we say to you, do this and do that and don't do that if we don't really know where you're starting from? So this is why we love to measure. It's you, you take a look at someone, you know, we had a, a client who, you know, was told you just eat a lot of protein and you should have seen his report. His report was off the charts. I mean, all the toxins were high. The proteins were off the charts. What, what are you eating was the first question. It's like, well, I do two protein shakes a day. He was a vegan, but two protein shakes a day was a lot for him. And his body mm. was you know, he was in a lot of pain and inflammation and GI. He's just like, I just don't feel good. No kidding. Probably a lot of plant protein. So maybe some toxins in there. It was just too, it was just too much. Right. I mean, and, but the person he was seeing, I'm sure had only good intentions, right? Because they were like, you need protein and he wasn't eating meat. And so that, you know, again, they thought they were doing the right thing. And I doubt they were, you know, it was not intentional, but as a you know, this is what happened. So, so I yeah. so important, but again, purines, you know, these are going to be things that you find in beers, different types of fishes, fishes have them. Organ meats. Yeah. Organ meats. Yeah. I think it's interesting. We're actually sort of leaning towards like avoiding too much purines. I was turned on to this topic because I've always tried to eat more purines because based on the metabolic typing diet, William Olcott, I'm supposed to ingest more purine rich foods but it is all about balance, right? So now it's really interesting for me to see these purine yep. metabolites and these pathways to see what's sort of happening. Like um, more compared to what? So this is one of my peeves with you know some of the testing. And this is going to be me as a scientist putting my scientist hat on. You know, There are a lot of tests and DNA testing does this a lot, right? You're at higher risk for X. Higher, higher what? I mean, higher than what? And <laughs> Who, is, who are we comparing against? And what does it really mean to have an 18% greater chance of having high cholesterol? Who is the sample set? How many people were in it? Did they look like you? I mean, I think that, you know, we, we read that at the, at the face value level and think, oh, geez, that means I'm at an elevated risk. But in reality, what is that risk? And that's where, again, blood testing, right? You get to go and you find out, do I have high cholesterol or not? I don't need to know. Am I at higher risk from John down the road? All I really want to know is, do I have high cholesterol or not? Because this risk profiling is, and again, most folks don't know this because they are not scientists and they, they, they take it at face value. They read it and they believe it. And it's, it bothers me because I'm like, well, they didn't know to ask this question. There's a pie chart and it says, you know, 92% of the population, whatever. Well, what population? <laughs> who were the people in that study? You know, were these right. people who self-reported that they had high cholesterol already? Then you're not even, you shouldn't even be looking at yourself against that population. So again, the, the peeves of, you know, when we look at other reports and we're just like, you know, yeah. poor people come and look at this and they're making life decisions 
based on what is recommended. So, you know, again, we, we always like to just say, look, we're, when they say, well, what, you know, your test is really different from everything else out there. And I'm like, not really, really, we're a blood test. No different from when you go to the doctor and they say to you, hey, you have low vitamin D, do something about it. It's a very similar type concept. It's just that these are molecules that come from the microbiome, but it's that same idea. If it's too low, do something about it. If it's too high, do something about it. Fairly straightforward. Very direct. I mean, why, like, why are we wasting our time with all these other things? And it is interesting that people are making, you said, life decisions based on that proposed information. And I think a lot of the times people will make a decision and then they just keep going in that direction for the rest of their, their life. Like they never come back to reassess. They never redirect. And even if that information was correct in that moment, like things are constantly changing, right? Like our gut bacteria is constantly changing. Absolutely. And your physiology changes, you know, over time, your hormones change. Um, the aging process makes you different. Um, life events change things in your life. So again, we, we like to talk about this test, not just as take a test. It's, it's a lifestyle program where you need to intermittently take a look at where you're at and then make the right decision based on that moment in your life, you know, and it, you know, in a year, it may be different. So again, if you, you, to say that you're the same person at age 20 as, you know, I'm in your late thirties, I mean, I can tell you right away, you know, I'm very different. I'm much more fragile, you know, now (laughs) in my later thirties than I was in my earlier twenties and the physiology has changed and that's just, that's okay. That's just how it goes. But, you know, be aware that to really invest the time and energy in yourself does require taking a moment, stepping back and just saying, well, where am I at right now? Okay. I'm going to do this for the next six months, a year, whatever. And then see what, where I'm at, reevaluate and listen, you know, to the body. The hardest so, part. <laughs> so in a perfect world, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> So in, in the perfect world, how often would you do this test? Six yeah, months you know, a year? Yeah, I mean, I think at the beginning, you know, if the if the person takes the test and clocks in below 80 um, as, as your average score, you'd revisit in three months. You'd try to create an intervention to try to bring them up, especially, you know, typically people fall between the 40 to 70, 45 to 75 is the average range of score which is also confusing because everybody thinks, well, I just got an F on this test, but it doesn't work <laughs> that way. But average, right, on, from zero to 100, 40 to 70 is the average. To get them up to above 80 could take three to six months. At the point where you're above that, you know, I think at intermittent every six months, every year, taking a look or after an, uh, an altering event. You know, let's say you had COVID. I bet you, you, your test's going to be different. And depending on how severe that was, your test is going to be different afterwards because your gut's going to take a hit. The whole body's going to take a hit. So, you know, some people, death in the family, stressful at life event, medical issue, it's going to affect the results of that test. So I'd say at the beginning, yeah. three months, and then you could scale back to a, a plan. Sarah, you just said something interesting. I, when I did my Excel test, it was four days before I came down with COVID symptoms. Okay. So now I am, I've been curious to retest to see maybe my gut was already affected, right? Because we don't know how long 
mm-hmm. you have the virus before you're symptomatic. So maybe that wasn't the best time for me to do it, but I didn't know. Am I allowed to ask what your score was then? It was not good. I, I'd have to go back and look. I want to say in around 50. Okay. Yeah. So it could have been. It could, or it could. I just have a lot to work on. <laughs> that too. Uh, you never know, but don't, it's okay. There's, there's always room yeah. for improvement, but, but it is, you know, those who suffer from chronic illness disease typically will score below 40, you know, people with cancer and yeah. chemotherapy, um, basically, I mean, their gut is decimated because of the medication, inflammatory bowel disease, IBD, IBS, and depending on what, if there's a flare scores could be, you know, lower, um, but sort of the average person is in the 40 to 70 range. And what length of time are we sort of looking at that it's really giving us that snapshot for? So this is a question we get asked a lot because what what is interesting is if you were to take the test, barring your just normal lifestyle habits, we are creatures of habit. We tend to do the same thing every day. We tend to eat similar things quite often. You take the test today, you take the test tomorrow, take the test the next day. Barring no huge change, you are going to score the same thing on that test day after day or very, very close. The markers will not significantly change because you didn't change. And now people people say, well, you know, is that really true? It is absolutely true. You know, one of the things that, that I would say is uh, when we early on, when we uh, started working with the America's Cup team, Oracle USA, the first thing they did is send us duplicate samples taken a week or two apart for the whole team. And they said, match them. Prove that you can actually do that. And we did. Um, And so we said, well, barring no real change, right? Because we're doing the same thing every day, doing their thing. So you knew exactly who it was. Yeah. It was like an easy So he was matching Joe to Joe, Mark to Mark, Tom to Tom. (laughs) That's really cool. But but it's because nothing changed. You know, so I said, look, you want to go drink 50 beers the night before? Yeah, probably your data is going to look different the next day. But the thing about this is, right, that's why, again, think about blood testing. Today, you go test your cholesterol. Tomorrow, you go test it. Again, barring nothing different has happened, it's probably pretty much the same. So yeah, so we had to, we've had to do this kind of matching to prove that you could do it. But it's, I, I just, the whole thing is so fascinating and so remarkable. And you can really trace back, you know, Hey, you have elevated xanthine. Do you do cardio, swimming, biking, running? How did you know that? Well, you're xanthine a <laughs> hundred times what it should be. And yeah. typically we see that in endurance athletes or, you know, are you a heavy weightlifter? Cause you're total endoxyl sulfate. These are damage markers is elevated. And that's because, you know, you're breaking down muscle and we're seeing that the, the breakdown of this, and it's turning into a, a toxin because you're not drinking enough water to keep up with it. You know, are you a heavy weightlifter? How did you know? Well, because that's what this marker means. So again, you're talking to me right now, those are my two metabolites that are high. Are and are you a cardio? Are you a fitness buff? I do a lot of fitness. I don't do a lot of cardio, but I work out a lot. There you go. So, and those are the yeah. two that typically for our athletes are always really elevated. Um, but if left unchecked, they trickle down and create other problems, um, which, you know, inflammation that can then screw up your gut, you know, so maybe your gut looks good, but if you keep doing this, 
they then go and affect the gut, creating gut dysbiosis. Now you have your indoles are all out of whack. So they're all interrelated. This is fascinating because I'm actually like a huge advocate for not working out too much. I'm all about like less is more. Mm-hmm. You know, exercise is catabolic. It's stressful to the body. So I'm always talking about recovery. Like, and I actually don't work out that much. I move very often, but part of my job does require me to work out a little more heavily on certain days. But that's so interesting that we have this information from bacteria saying like, listen, this really could actually affect you. And yeah, for me that like, I think I'm fairly moderate. I know that I could keep refining that, but I'm thinking of people that do excessive cardio seven days a week. And it's always about more and more and more. We found that some, for some people, they actually perform better when they take a day off. Suddenly, yeah. you know, they've, they've reached sort of a plat- plateau in their training. They don't understand why. And we tell them, we'll take a day off. And they're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> it's when you get stronger. Come on. <laughs> Well, that's what you, you know, again, you think it's obvious, but it's not. But again, everybody's physiology is different. And then, you know, in some of the cases with some of the elite athletes that we've worked with, you know, they, they do a race and the body is just completely screwed up. Right. And then three weeks, three weeks later, they have to do it again. Well, how do you heal the markers so that, and they're going to do it again. That's their careers is their job. How do you heal them up? quickly so that they start up as high as possible. So, you know, they're going to hit the system Mm -hmm. again, but imagine if you started down here and now had to do that race again, now you might not even finish your race because, you know, you've got runners diarrhea or vomiting or pain, or like, you just can't even, you just don't have the energy to do that. So it's knowing is so important because then you know what to adjust. Rest is important just just taking letting the body heal and people heal at different rates so you need to know that you know am i a fast healer am i a slow healer the gut is damaged you're going to be a slower healer because just everything is slower and you need to know so that's again where yeah. we believe in you know whether it's this test or other tests like you know just know that you can't guess you cannot just guess guessing is not right. scientific you got to mm-hmm. Right. And then once you know, you can take actionable steps to to bring the person back. So as an actionable item, say I was gonna make a, a fairly drastic or at least notable change to my exercise lifestyle, yeah. how long would it take to see changes in the biome or on this test? Yeah. So what we've found is typically within four weeks you see a little change, but within three months is where you see the most change. And we actually followed. So again, with some of the athletes, it's easier to follow athletes because they tend to be very religious about what they do and consistent about it. Mm-hmm. So, um, we followed them over an extended period of time. And after one month, you see a little bit of movement, but at three, five months, there's pretty significant movement. So, you know, I'd say it's why we say 90 days, three months, is a really good amount of time. At that point, you should see change if the person is actually doing something. Yeah, very cool. Right. Yeah. I, well, I love that you're working with so many athletes. You know that are you have the athletes on this end that are optimizing, but then you know people that are suffering from digestive issues or brain fog. Like it's such a wide spectrum of who right. it can help. Useful for all. 
very much so. And that's the thing that's really kind of fascinating. Um, even from our business or business model perspective, we didn't know, you know, who would be the prime candidate, but you know, weight loss is very similar, right? You're, you're trying to figure out what am I supposed to do here? And it's all, you know, people say, do this, people say, do that. It's hard to know. So this way, at least, you know, and you can fill your diet with things that are actually necessary in a more informed way. And, you know, it's, it's, it's structured. These are structured programs that are meant to try to help that individual make more informed, personalized uh, decisions. So, you know, we work with people with GI issues. We work with people who are just trying to optimize their performance. It's a very broad spectrum of different types of, of um, clients. Makes it more fun. Yeah, it is really awesome. So cool. I cannot wait to make these changes and then and retest. I, I'm Renee and I both love to experiment on, on, on ourselves. So it's so really awesome to see things shift in a positive way, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I don't want to take too too much more of your time, but I just wanted to take a slight pivot towards COVID-19. Oh. <laughs> I on your TED talk, you talked about living in a very aseptic world, like we are just trying to kill all the bacteria. Can you just sort of make like a general statement about maybe why we want to seek balance and not try to kill everything? <laughs> yeah. So antibiotics are one of the greatest inventions of the last 100, 200 years, right? There, You cannot dispute the significance of it. The problem is that they kill bacteria. They don't differentiate between good and bad bacteria, right? So one of the side effects or byproducts of taking an antibiotic is that it affects other bacteria in your system. Well, guess what? Bacteria in the gut are going to be the first place. So often when people are on antibiotics for a long period of time, they wipe their microbiome and or kill off some of the more fragile species. And it can take months, sometimes years, sometimes never ever again do these things come back. So, you know, there's always a, the pro and the con, right? I mean, let's say you have bacterial pneumonia. Yeah. You want to take an antibiotic, but it may take you two years to recover from having decimated your gut microbiome. So I'm, you know, I'm hesitant to say, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously, you have to do what you have to do in the situation that that person is facing in that moment of their life. But just know that those are the repercussions. So, you know, we talk about why is it important to not eat antibiotic treated meat or cows who have been given antibiotics for the same reason, because as you eat that meat, it still has those antibiotics in it. As it goes through your system, it can kill bacteria in the gut and cause problems. So this, when people see that, maybe if you didn't know that, maybe that's helpful because basically mm-hmm. you've inherited what you've just eaten. The properties of that cow have now become properties of you, uh, and and your body is affected. Um, right, you are what you eat. You said that with like you are. There. <laughs> that's the only place you get your nutrients. I mean, it's it's so obvious because where else do you? There's nothing else that comes into your body. It's the food you eat. That's why food is so important. Things like, you know, hand sanitizer, again, it's it's interesting, right? We talk about creating 
resistant bacteria that are resistant now to drugs because they've been mutated and it it works in a very similar way. You know, you you use a hand sanitizer, it kills 99.99% of things, but the strong ones survive. And those are the ones that, right, ultimately now go and replicate and now are (laughs) impervious to those hand sanitizers moving forward. So are we saying hand sanitizer is bad? No, because at this point, you know, we're trying to all prevent spreading COVID, but, or any bacteria, any whatever condition, but these are the ramifications of the decisions that are made. There is never a perfect situation, right? Kids used to go outside, play in the dirt. And in doing that, there was bacteria in the dirt. So they ate the dirt and they ended up with stronger systems right? Stronger, more diverse microbiomes. One thing we have seen that happens quite often is typically people who were born outside the U.S. have better microbiomes in a way, more diverse microbiomes because Mm. things aren't as clean. And so they are exposed at a younger age to different types of microbes. As a result, they have more diverse microbiomes. Do they have other problems? Yes. Uh, (laughs) But, and this is what I mean it's none of it is so simple as what's good and what's bad, but typically because they've been exposed to more pathogens, you know, people living on farms, right? You're, you're interacting with animals, you're scooping chicken poop, you're, you're doing all kinds of stuff. You're going to be coming in contact with pathogens in a different kind of way, you know, provided you're not eating that it's probably okay to expose yourself, you know, to it. COVID is a really interesting situation. Um, it's a virus, not a bacteria. They're very, they're different types of pathogens. Um, they spread in different ways. Getting COVID doesn't make your microbiome better. So I, I strongly, I'm, I'm a strongly don't get COVID. And you, I know that Renee did, but I'm against getting COVID um, and, and, and spreading that. But, you know, I think none of it is straightforward and simple. But, you know, I think it's if you have the ability to expose yourself in a safe way to different types of microbes, you know, if, if things are too clean, your risk for autoimmune conditions is higher, allergies for kids, eczema, skin problems, et cetera, you know, is higher. So none of that is very good. Um, if you're exposed to too much bacteria, you end up with like cholera and other, di- you know, you know, clostridium difficile and diarrhea and other problems. It's all about the balance. So, you know, I would say be careful, but, you know, take the medicine when you only need it. Don't take it when you don't. Don't decimate your microbiome if you don't have to. Eat diverse foods that help stimulate the microbiome and stimulate the different species to keep them healthy. If you need a probiotic, take it. Suggestions for how to, you know, you can answer that question or you guys can answer it offline, but try to live a balanced life. (laughs) I don't know. It always comes back to personalization and finding the right balance. Yeah. Always. Yeah. And actually one of my favorite books was eat dirt. Yeah. You just said, yeah, I I just love the science behind that. Yeah. But like, you know, if you eat the wrong dirt, now you've got like botulinum (laughs) toxin. No easy way to Uh like, to do all of it, but I think it's right. The point is, if you're almost too clean, you know, where you're wiping everything all the time, it's actually worse than just sort of going about your daily life in a intelligent and you know a way that's just kind of like just logically, I don't even know what the word is, but just yeah. live your life, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, humans have survived many, many years with 
viruses and bacteria. It's yeah, it's not COVID. It's just going to be another virus in you know the next decade or whatever. Well, Erica, you've given so much great advice already, but maybe just to kind of summarize, maybe a recap, like what is one thing people can start doing today after they listen to this episode? Test. I guess, you know, figure out what you want to accomplish. What do you, what, you know, I think if you're listening to this, there's a reason. What is it that you're looking to improve? You know, do you want to sleep better? Do you want to lose weight? Do you want to be healthier? Do you just want to live to know more? You know, is it more about, and then from there, you know, reach out to whether it's you guys or, or someone, you know, in their network and figure out what's the road to get them to get you on the right path. And it usually starts with testing, but you also have to have the right mindset. You know, a lot of this is none of it happens overnight and I can't solve it with a pill. These are things that require, you know, dedication and a willingness to, you know, it doesn't take a lot of time, but it does take time. So, you know, start with what do I want to have happen? What is my goal? And then if you're really serious about it, get a test sign up for a program, work with an awesome professional, you know, like, like Renee and like, you know, and, and do something about it. I think that's, that's how it works. None of it is magic. There is no magic. Anybody promising you magic, there's no such thing. So it's going to require some energy and dedication, but you'll feel better. You'll be better. You'll, you know, be happier that you, that you did it. And you only have one body. There's only one you. There's not like a backup. There is no dress rehearsal. So like, it's, this is it. This is our life. I mean, we get to decide how we want to live it and, you know, and, and live it. Amazing. I love that advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. You bet. And thank you so much for spending your time with us today. I love this so much. I'm now going to go back to my test results and like really dig through. I feel like I have a, <laughs> some new information, education, and I can't wait to start on my, my protocol and we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. I said Renee is an expert. So <laughs> yes. take a look at it again. Stella Health Pro. Working yeah. on that. Yeah, Lauren, I'll definitely look at yours again and we'll chat more. Awesome. Well, thank you, Erica, so much for joining us today. Can't wait to share this episode with everyone. And thanks to everyone that tuned in. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. Happy biohacking.